Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Certainty by Pastor Sean Wood. If you'd like to meet me in the Gospel of Luke this morning, I'll praise you making your way there. Father, I thank you this morning that you are in this place. I thank you that you have a message for every person in this place here this morning. Lord, please allow our ears to be open and our heart to be exposed before you this morning. In your wonderful name, amen. If you'd like to meet me in the Gospel of Luke, we're going to take a bit of a break from the Epistle of Romans because it's Christmas time and Romans is getting a little bit heavy, particularly chapters 1 and 2 are reasonably heavy chapters. So we're going to take a break and just focus on the time of the season for a moment and uh, so we'll come to the Gospel of Luke in a moment, but uh, is there anybody here that does deer shooting? Nobody's ever done any deer shooting? Few people have done some deer shooting? In Tasmania, you do one of two things, and sometimes you do both, and that's either fly fishing or you are a deer shooter. We have Deer are like a rabbit with hooves in Tasmania. They're all under tags, but there's that many of them that they, they release an amount to be shot. But I can remember that uh, my stepfather was very heavy into deer shooting, but what amazed me was uh, day after day after day, we would spend trekking all over the hills, and he would put maybe anywhere up to 10 decent deer in the scope, and he wouldn't pull the trigger. It got to the point where... I was asked, would you, would you like to come deer shooting? And I'm thinking, what's the point? All we're doing is deer spotting. And I, I can remember one morning, uh, he, he was sure that the stag would be in the right place because it's all about the size of the stag. And we're looking for signs, you know, we're looking for rub marks and, and, and all those sorts of things. And, and so three o'clock in the morning, walking through the bush in the dark, can I tell you, you need some faith for that, brothers and sisters. And when you're trying to be quiet... And I'm falling over and I ran into an electric fence and we climbed up to the top of this hill. We sat behind a log and we waited for the sun to come up and we're overlooking a marsh down the bottom and there was a very big stag. And I thought, this is the day. Uh, What concerned me the most was, hang on a second, if you shoot this stag, it's just taking us three hours to walk here. Who's carrying it out? (laughs) But no shot was fired. And I'm sitting there thinking, what's it going to take for you to pull the trigger? And you know what? Sometimes I sit, and I'm challenged because I sit in church myself, and I wonder how long it's going to take for us to pull the trigger. What do we need? What does God have to do for us to pull the trigger? As we look at the birth of Christ this morning... uh, I want to have a look at two questions that were asked in the Gospel of Luke. And there are people in this room this morning that are asking both of these questions. And I want to help you answer those questions. They're important questions. And most of us will ask these questions as we work our way through our Christian walk. But have you ever noticed how sometimes when God drops something in your heart or or maybe, and I'm going to testify to this in a moment with the building and everything, but have you ever noticed how God might say, this is how it's going to be, but whatever you imagine in your mind, you can almost back it in that that's not how God is going to do it. Do you know, for hundreds of years, prophets had prophesied of a Messiah, They had prophesied of a king that would come and sit on the throne of David and he would have an eternal kingdom that would last forever and nobody was expecting a baby. 
Nobody. Nobody was expecting a baby, and if they were expecting a baby, they weren't expecting him to be born in a stable. People were looking in the temple. People were wondering what the high priest had to say. Isn't it interesting how God had for many, many, many hundreds of years had prophesied that he would send a Messiah, that he would send a saviour, that he would make all things new, but the detail of what that looked like was nothing how anybody could have imagined. Everybody was expecting the heavens to part. Everybody was expecting some guy on a white horse riding on in, deposing Rome and setting up a physical kingdom. And who knows that Jesus is the king. Jesus will reign forever. We are a part of his kingdom kingdom, but it doesn't look like anything that anybody thought it was going to look like. And do you know sometimes that's the same in our lives? I want to have a look at two people today in the Gospel of Luke in the first chapter. We're going to have a look at God brings them a word and they had a message from God and neither of them could have imagined that it would happen, but the way it was going to. When we come to the Gospel of Luke, Luke is writing for one reason. He wants to write to a man by the name of Theophilus. Theophilus is a Roman official. And he's writing, as we find, so that Theophilus may have certainty. How many people in this world today are looking for certainty? How many people are looking for certainty even inside of these walls? And I think the greatest certainty we can find is in the person of Jesus Christ. We can find a certainty that we can have a relationship with God. We have an eternal certainty we find. But, but there's, there was much that was said about Jesus. There was much that was written about Jesus. Jesus. There was much that people had proclaimed about Jesus. And now Luke writes, as we find in verse 4, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. Now, uh, it's not proven. We can't prove it categorically, but I think it makes a lot of sense. A lot of people don't realise that Luke wasn't a disciple of Jesus. He was a physician. He was charged, it would appear, by Theophilus to make an account. But it appears as though, because it's the same guy who writes the book of Acts. You see, in the book of Acts, when Luke is writing, he uses language like we, when he's speaking about me and Paul. Paul went on a missionary trip, he's like, and we undertook. And so Luke was in tow, and there's there's strong evidence that Luke is writing both his gospel and the book of Acts in preparation for when Paul will appear before Caesar. This is everything that's going on. This is what this apparent crazy guy is talking about. Everybody in Rome knew Paul. Historians have recorded Paul. Paul was an absolute nuisance to the Roman Empire because they actually couldn't do what they wanted to do with him because he was a Roman citizen. So Luke writes from a historical, biographical point of view. And let's take somebody we may all know for good or wrong reasons. Most people here would know of Shane Warne. But if you wanted to write a biography about Shane Warne and you only wrote about the 10 or so years that he played cricket, you've missed out on so much of his life. And so Luke comes with a biographical uh, view and says, you know what, if I give you just the three and a half years that he ministered, you're going to miss everything else that's so important, like his birth and everything that led up to his birth. And we're going to have a look at some of those scriptures today. So Luke writes so that 
Theophilus may have some certainty. And verse 5, if we pick it up there, we'll work our way slowly through these passages. It says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah. And I love how Luke approaches this. And I want everybody here to begin to have some certainty because there is nowhere found in any of the Gospels, you will not find the words once upon a time. This is not a fairy tale. This is not a myth. This is not just a good story that somebody made up somewhere along the line. Why? Because there's accountability here. When Luke writes his account for the Roman court, he is saying definite people, definite place, definite point of history, and here's some definite names that it happened to, and you can go and find out for yourself. There is not an atheist, intelligent one anyway, there's not an intelligent atheist or historian alive today that denies Jesus is an actual person of history. In fact, non-Christians and atheists with any kind of brief research will tell you it is nonsense to think that Jesus is not an actual man that walked the earth. The question I have for everybody in this room is, what are you going to do with him? Because you have to do something. Most of the world would like to live in ignorance of the fact that he even was born, but you can't. So Luke writes... Uh, not a fairy tale, but he writes an accurate account. And the first people that we come in contact with are Zechariah and Elizabeth. Now, Zacharias is his actual name. Zechariah is how it's transliterated. But we have two people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, that we bump into first. Let's read through. It says, There was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Ebijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, both through priestly lineage. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly. So we begin to understand we've got a couple of people here. We're going to find out that they're not young. So they're well, 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 well past the 60 or 70 mark. They're not young people. But what we do find is that he's a priest. And what we don't understand is in, by the time Jesus was born in the time of Christ, we have the priesthood had swelled to some 20,000 priests. And the only way they decided who would do service on any given day was they would cast lots, which is like throwing dice. And people think that sounds random and how would people do that? But it's actually an enormous act of faith because what you're actually saying when you cast lots is I am holding to the truth that God controls even every roll of the dice. And you're saying that when I roll lots, God will control the dice. God will point to the right one. But Zechariah's number comes up. He's in the temple today. We find out that they are righteous and blameless. You will bump the word blameless many, many times in Scripture. Uh, what about Job? Job was a righteous and upright and blameless man. And everybody thinks, how could that happen to Job? He's so holy. He's so perfect. But that's not what the word means. The best way to understand what the word uh, blameless means, it's all about not perfection, it's all about direction. Blameless is speaking to the motivations of the heart. It's speaking about the, the direction of the life. Uh, I haven't met any person apart from Jesus Christ. I haven't met anybody that's perfect. I haven't met anybody that doesn't miss it and make mistakes. That's all of us. That doesn't qualify them for what happens next. But God's got a plan. Let's see what begins to unfold. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the law, but they had no child. And, and, and that's bad enough today. We've, we've had, uh, we're, 
one of my brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws, they were told you'll never have children. That was two children ago. Now they're wishing we'd never have... No, they're not. <clears throat> but, but in ancient times in particular and in the first century, uh, this was considered to be an enormous reproach upon the lady. It was uh, the, the stigma that sometimes carried a barren, barren womb was, uh, what have you done to offend God? What have you done wrong? And so it was considered to be a, a sense of reproach. So we see, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Not looking good, right? Not looking good. Let's keep reading on. <clears throat> now we have a, a message that is going to come to Zechariah. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him as it would for most of us. But the angel said to him, here, here comes the message, here comes the word that God has for Zechariah. Have a listen to this. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. There are people in this room this morning that need to hear that sentence again, and I'm going to read it out again, because we have two people well advanced in years, and we, we get a glimpse into their life where they have been praying for a long time for God to give them a child. And the first thing the angel wants Zechariah to know is, your prayer's been heard. And I think there's people in this room that have children. There are people in this room that have relatives. There are people who, uh, that, that have infirmities inside of themselves. And I want you to know there's a very good chance, according to the scripture, that God has heard your prayer. You see, God's timing and our timing are rarely ever the same. I reckon Zechariah could have done with this angel about 60 years ago. It would have been a little bit easier maybe to, to believe what was about to be told him. But here's the message. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. What? You've been drinking too much of the wine, my friend? And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. Ever notice, uh, even when we get to the next person that we want to have a look at, uh, two things happen in the message of God. God, God brings a proclamation to Zechariah. He, he makes a proclamation, Zechariah, we've heard your prayer and, and we fully understand. And, and now the angel says, you know what? Uh, you're going to have a son. And with the proclamation comes instruction. And this is what you need to do, Zechariah. You, you need to call his name John and you need to make sure he doesn't drink any wine or strong drink, which is uh, similar to Samson, not cutting the hair. It's a, it's a Nazarite consecration that's going on here. So there's a proclamation and there's, there's instruction. But does anybody here realise what's missing in between all of that? Ever notice that God never gives a detail? Never tells you how it's going to happen. Never tells you anything apart from, here's what the proclamation is and here's what you need to do. And how many people here know that God doesn't always give us the detail of how things are going to happen? 
He doesn't give us the time of how things are going to happen. Have a look at Abraham. Here's the detail God gave Abraham. He says, up and leave. Mm, Yeah, okay, and what's next? Nothing until you do that. You ever notice that with God? God will say, do this. And until you actually move and do that, nothing happens until you do that. And then he says, okay, now do this. And more steps that Abraham took, the more of the revelation that he got, but he had to take the first step. And that was to leave everything that was familiar to him and take Lot. I'd have left Lot because it began to be a nuisance. But I believe that God still speaks today. We're going to cover that in a moment. But there's people in this room this morning, and I've been guilty of this too, that respond the same way that Zechariah does. His Here's FYI, here's not what to do when an angel turns up with a message. Here's not what to say. If you come down with me to verse 18, and Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? How shall I know? How many people are sitting in this room going, hello, uh, angel, right side of the altar, what else do you need to know? And before you throw any stones at Zechariah, there's people in this room that may not have had an angel come and appear before you, but God has clearly, clearly, clearly spoken to you and you're still sitting at a green light at the holding line wondering what you're going to do. And I want to know in this morning as we begin to unpack this, I have one question. What's it going to take for people in this room to pull the trigger? What's it going to take for you to pull the trigger? What does God have to do for you to have any kind of certainty that it's time for you to pull the trigger? Because many people find themselves asking this question. How shall I know? God may speak to you. He may have a direction in your life. It was about three and a half years ago that I asked that exactly same question. You can laugh. We asked that exact same question. And I want to help everybody that's asking that question this morning, I want to help you to answer that question this morning. How shall I know? If God's speaking, is it God? Should I move? Should I do it? Because when God speaks to you, you need to move. And do you know, we can can read the Word of God. We're going to cover that in a moment. Do you know there's a difference between the Bible as as a whole and God's Word specifically to you? Let me give you an example of what that looks like. We have 12 disciples in a boat. Jesus sends them out onto the lake. Jesus comes later on walking on the water and they're all scared. Who is this guy? What's, what's, is this a ghost or what? Jesus says, it's me. And Peter says, if it's you, bid me to come. Jesus says a word to Peter, not to the whole lot of the disciples. He says, come. And Peter acts on that word. That was a word to Peter. Notice John didn't get out of the boat. Nobody else got out of the boat except for Peter because Jesus had given him a word. It's called a, like an empowering word. It's for you, Peter. You get out of the boat. And there are people here that Jesus is saying, you need to get out of the boat. And you're sitting here saying, how shall I know? Well, let's have a look what the angel says to Zechariah. He's saying similar to stuff to what we would say. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. Hello. I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God. Hello. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Hello. Is it not obvious? How much more do you need? I want to help you out with 
uh, what I would like to call the three lights. And uh, I'll do my best to move quickly through these, but uh, over the course of time that I've been a Christian, this is not specific to here, this is not specific to anywhere, but I want to tell you what the three most dangerous words I have heard in church. I, on the back of these three words, I have seen some of the most enormous foolishness, but I've also seen enormous tragedy and hurt. These three words are, God told me. Sounds silly, doesn't it? But I want to tell you this morning, if you're going to stand anywhere in the house of God and you're going to say, thus says the Lord, you better have some certainty. If you're going to come to me and say, God told me this, this, this and this, I'm probably going to ask you, how did that happen for you? Because over the years, I've, I've heard people say, God told me. I, I've listened to people that listen to voices. And I've seen enormous hurt come from that. And, I, and I'm going to expose some of what that looks like and give you examples as we work our way through. Now, Billy Graham picked up on the three lights as well. But for me, uh, an enormous help for me was a book called Hearing God by Dallas Willard, where he touches on the three lights. We're very close to Billy Graham's. The first one is God's impressions within. So we have three lights that God gives us uh, anytime he speaks to us that kind of uh, line up. When the three of them line up and focus onto one point, then you get out of the boat. But the first one is God's impressions within, okay? And by impressions, I mean unctions, maybe. So in the book of Acts, we hear things like, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit when they were at the Council of Jerusalem. It seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit. We, we just had an unction. For some, it could be peace. I just, have a, I just have a peace. And if you don't have the peace, or if you don't have a, a... For some people, it's a burden. The Word of God in the Old Testament was like God had taken hot coals off the altar. It's, Jeremiah says, your word's like a fire shut up in my bones. It's like a burden is something like God putting hot coals in your lap, and you, you want to get rid of them as quick as you can, because God's given you something. They are impressions within. They can be different for each people, yes, but they are one of the lights that God uses. Here's the second one, and please, please hear this one, is God's word without. So we have God's impressions, or we have an impression from the Holy Spirit lives inside of each one of us. And he places impressions inside of us. The second one is God's word without. And not just uh, Stephen and Josh got a bit of a... uh, a bit of a heads up on this one, but it's not just scriptures here and there, but it's, does this line up with the whole message of scripture? Uh, Does what God is telling me, does this message line up with what God is telling me? God's word without seems a little bit like this. If, if you could take one scripture here, if, and one scripture there, I would warn you against doing that. Why? Because you could take a scripture here that says Judas hung himself, and you could take another one over here that says go do likewise, and you would be in enormous trouble. But we laugh. I've heard prophecies, not here in Queensland, I've heard prophecies where people have stood up and said, there's a dark cloud rising and even I'm afraid, says the Lord. I don't know what God's afraid of, but I can tell you now, I haven't heard of anything yet. But we can see how we get foolish with God told me. Does it line up with scripture? I haven't heard anywhere in scripture where God's afraid of anything. And it's got to line up with the whole message of Scripture. 
I've had someone say to me once, you know, Romans 6 tells us that I'm dead to sin, so I don't sin anymore, I'm holy and I'm perfect. And da, 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 da. Well, if that's the case, then why do we need a high priest that Hebrews tells us about? And why does 1 John 1, 1.9 tell me that if I, if I confess my sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive me my sins and restore me to full righteousness? I'll tell you why. Because although I might be dead to the power and I'm no longer a slave, I still make mistakes. And so it's easy to get off kilter. You, it's one thing to step out of the boat, friends. It's another thing to fall out. So light number two is God's word. Does this line up with God's word? Does this message line up with God's word? And number three is God's providence or his circumstances around. And uh, I have found over my lifetime that there's no real coincidence in God. I've had people say to me, just coincidentally, I bumped into this person and they said I should come to church. So I'm at church and now I know I need to... You didn't coincidentally bump into anybody. And so we have, we, have, we have impressions within, we have God's word without, and we have, we have circumstances around, but when all of those focus into one point, then we know God is saying, step out of the boat. I want to show you two examples, one that is a positive one and one that is a negative one. The first one's a negative one. This one comes from, and I'm sorry, I have to use these examples, but they come from friends of ours from Tasmania, two families that grew up side by side. And after a period of time, the male in this family separates from his wife and starts pursuing the female in this family. And it's not long before the female in this family and the male in this family end up here, like this. This sounds very blatant, it sounds very open, but I'm going to to share with you why this can be very dangerous. Because once they got together, they justified it by saying, well, God told us that it's our time to be happy. And they smashed families. And as an undertone in their voices, it was, we're just going to do what we think we want to do and God will forgive us anyway. And can I tell you, don't ever hold that. Another example, male and female, beautiful man, very intelligent, holds degrees in horticulture that I didn't even know existed, but he had an acquired brain injury and after some time of care, the lady is swept off her feet by another guy, he's not even a Christian, best I could tell, and she leaves this guy and she says, God told me it's my time to look after me and to be happy. And both of those people, in all those circumstances, use those words, God told me. And can I tell you, there's clear evidence they didn't hear from God. And people got hurt. And that's just a couple of negative examples. The positive one for us in particular was three and a half years ago. I use this as an example. Three and a half years ago, uh, I get a text message from Pastor Andrew Corbett. He says, can I see you? And usually, if that's the case, you've done something wrong. Which was common for me. No, it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) But, But 
Pastor Andrew sits me down and says, you know what, I've just come back from a, a church up in Queensland. And he says, I wonder if you've ever considered, and I hadn't, I've got, to, I've got to be honest with you, I never considered pastoring a church. I could never see anything inside of me that God would ever, ever consider would be good enough to pastor a, a, such a beautiful bunch of people. And Andrew sat down and said, you know what, uh, would you consider it? And, and I said, well, I don't know. I said, I've never really considered it. I said, I'll talk to Annette. And I came back the next week and I said, you know, I said, I've talked to Annette and I thought about it and uh, um, I, I'm not 100% sure, but I know this. Um, let's get on the road and if, if, if it's not of God, we'll soon, soon start hitting red lights. And God just opened up green light after green light after green light. And, and I went away and thought about it and I thought, now, does this compute with the word of God? Yes, it computes with the word of God. I can see that it's in line with the word of God. Do I have a peace about it? Yes, I have a peace. Everything inside is lining up. All the circumstances, I went and spoke to people that were very dear to me and they said, I'm, I'm surprised it's taken you this long to realise that's another way you can gauge uh, this. And then for us, it was, well, you know what? I feel this is absolutely of God. And we, we had to step out of the boat, unbeknownst to us, there was a little church in Capalaba, Queensland, that had to do the same thing. They were, up, they were up here thinking, well, we've got these wonderful pastors at the moment, but they're only temporary because of other commitments, and uh, we're going to take a bet on this goofy-looking dude from down in Tasmania, and you guys were trying to line up the three lights as well. I met with Terry, I met with Mark, and said, Terry, you can come back any time, but leave Mark. No, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> He doesn't listen to the sermon, so I'm off. It's all good. Um, but it was, a, it was a wonderful experience for us because what I said to God was, I said, I'm going to step out of the boat. And if you don't, we knew that if God didn't hold us up, we were going to sink. And we're, we are so privileged that God called us to be, uh, of all the churches, we got the best one, right? And we are so privileged that God called us here. But I, I want to help people here today because uh, if if God has spoken to you, I want you to have the certainty to step out of the boat for what God has got for you. And there's many people that are sitting at green light after green light after green light after green light, and they're sitting there wondering, should I take off? And I want to help you to answer that question today. If all of these three are lining up into one point, then friends, get out of the boat. Because when you're out of the boat, this is the scary thing about being out of the boat. If God doesn't hold you up, you won't hold yourself up outside of the boat. That's how good he is. Let's keep moving on to our next one. I want to share with you two quotes from Dallas Willard as we move forward. Dallas Willard said that more of God speaking to me has come in conjunction with study and teaching the Bible than with anything else. I hear God speak to me more clearly when I have his Bible open in front of me than I do at any other point in time. And I usually find for myself, this is my own personal testimony, I usually find that when God speaks at that point in time, he then begins lining up circumstances and I then begin to get inner impressions that says this is right. Dallas Willard, who's passed away by the way, but if you could ever get hold of his book, Hearing God or Renovation of the Heart, they're both great books. But he says, and we should quietly wait to those three focus into one point. Otherwise, you are running ahead of God. And there is great danger in running ahead of God. As Tony testified this morning, there was a point in time when I went to Tasmania. And for the 
four weeks or so we were in Tasmania, I said, God, I want to get back on the plane and go to Queensland and I want to know for sure what your direction is. So I got off the plane, next board meeting, I stand up and say, we're going to sell two properties and be in our own place. And I just felt that that is exactly what God had said. And God put all of this together. No man has put anything together. God is a good God and we sit in his blessings because he's gracious to us. But on that note, let's move to the next person. Young Mary. Well, she's young at this point in time. Mary's maybe 13 years of age when we encounter her in Luke chapter 1. But let's have a read briefly through, through what happens with Mary. It was in the sixth month of Elizabeth being pregnant. The angel Gabriel, verse 26, was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Now, that's, that's beautiful in itself. If you could think of the most least likely place that God was going to do anything, it would be Nazareth. Even, uh, even uh, Bartholomew, or we might know him as Nathaniel, said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Well, yes, there can be something good come from Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Now, the word betrothed simply means engaged. She's engaged to be married to Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. Now, what is, what is the angel saying when he comes to Mary and says, O favoured one? We need, know, need to know a little bit about Mary. Mary does come from the right lineage, uh, from David's line for the Messiah to come. That's absolutely true. But, but the words favoured one, the word favour means grace. Yeah, in uh, Genesis chapter 6, we find that Noah found favour or Noah found grace. And what that means is when we look at Mary, we look at this 13-year-old virgin from the back of nowhere and there is nothing inside of this woman that would warrant anything in the physical for God to work through her, which just happens to sound like every single one of us. There is nothing inside of any of us that would warrant God working through us, but that is his grace. It is God's grace that he chooses. Do you know uh, God decides he's going to bring his son as a baby? Do you know God could have just dropped a baby out of the sky? Do you know that God could have just put the baby on the doorstep of a nunnery? And everyone's going, hang on, there was no Catholics then. That's correct. For those that are awake, thank you. But the fact of the matter is, God could raise pastors up from the stones outside if he wanted to, and and God could build a church from the trees if he wanted to, and, and God could have sent his son in any way that he chose to, but he chooses to send his son through a virgin, and he chooses today to work through us. That's favor, and that's grace that God would ever decide to work through us. But have a listen to the promise. He came to her and he said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. You have found grace with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Here's the proclamation and the instruction. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And now we get to the second question that I believe most people in this room have either asked God at some time, or are even asking God right now. The first one is, how will I know? The second one is, how will this be? How will this be? Why? I'm a virgin. Do the math. How will this be, she says, since I am a virgin? And I want to answer this question for everybody sitting in this room today because often I sit and ask God, how will it be, God, that you could... Because I believe God could, by the way. I believe God could completely reshape the spiritual climate here in Brisbane. Does anybody else believe he could do that? I believe he could do that. In fact, I've seen evidence of it in history. I've seen God completely reshape cities, completely reshape hearts, but it's going to have to be a work of God. And sometimes I sit here and say, how will this be? I go to gym with people that are so distant from God. They don't have a second thought about God. Uh, Christmas time for them is all about presents and family. It's got nothing to do with a baby that came to save us all. But how many of us are asking the same question so often? How will this be? How will it be that you could bring this to pass? How will you do this, O God? And if you're asking that question this morning, we have the answer before us. The angel gives Mary the answer. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. If you're wondering how God could reshape the hearts of the people in Brisbane, it will be because the Holy Spirit will come upon this place. But it goes further. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will to be born will be called Holy and the Son of God. And the, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. If you stand under the shadow of a tree, that shadow completely is covering you. And that's what the angel is saying. God's power will completely overshadow you. God may have brought you a promise. God may have spoken into your heart. God may be speaking into your heart now. And you may be asking God that exact same question. How will this be? How will these things happen? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. The power of God will come upon you. Just like it did a little virgin girl. And she bore a son that would save the world. I want to finish with some verses of encouragement as we finish off this section here. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Verse 37, For nothing will be impossible with God. It's not impossible with God. Whatever he's spoken, whatever he's promised, whatever he's dropped into your heart, step out of the boat because nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said, and this is the right response, by the way. And Mary said, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I'm going to ask the the worship team to come back and and we're going to finish with a song this morning, but I want to ask you, are you seeking certainty? Is, is God speaking to you? And I want to ask, what's it going to take for you to pull the trigger and get out of the boat? What's it going to take for you to step outside of that boat 
and walk towards Christ. You might be sitting here this morning asking the question, how shall I know? You might be sitting here this morning asking yourself, how will these things be? If you need prayer in any way, shape or form, we'd love to meet with you in prayer at the front. If you want to do business with God in your seat, then do business with God in your seat. But let us finish with a song this morning and I'll finish with prayer. Father, we thank you this morning because nothing is impossible with you. Father, I thank you because there are many people sitting here this morning that you have spoken to, that you have, that you have laid upon their hearts a message, a hope, a dream, a vision. Lord, I pray that every person will have the answer to how shall I know and how will these things be. I pray that every person, Lord, would have the courage and the faith to step out of that boat. I thank you that nothing is impossible for you in your wonderful name. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.